Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the Cisco and Falzone Hour. Um, let me see here. Why is this not going through? Hmm. Hmm. What's going on here? All right. Oh, not sure what's happening here. Uh, having a problem connecting. Um, Can you hear me? What's going on here? All right. It appears that we are in. Let me see here. Hmm. This is weird. Oh, okay. Waiting for who? I don't understand this. Um, why is it not? All right, I think we got it. Um, let's see. Let's call Mr. Halbrook. Halbrook, uh, At the tone, is... please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a callback number, press 5. This is uh, Cisco from the Cisco and Fossil Hour calling you to have an interview interview tonight. Please call, call me back. I'm at uh, 845-262-0988. If you're satisfied with the message, press 1. To listen to your message, press 2. To erase and re-record, press 3. Message erased. At the tone, please re-record your message. At the end of your message, press 1. Mr. Hallbrook, this is uh, Cisco from the Cisco and Falzone Hour. 
uh, calling. We have an interview, uh, radio interview tonight. Please call me back at 845-262-0988. If you're satisfied with the message, press 1. To leave the number from which you are calling, press pound. To leave another callback number, enter the 10-digit number, then press pound. To leave no number, twice. To cancel, press star. That number was not specified correctly. To leave the number from which you are calling, press pound. To that number was not specified correctly. To leave the number from which you are calling, press pound. Phone number 512230143. If the number is correct, press 1. To re to send your message with normal delivery, press 1. Thank you. Your message has been sent. Well, um we are basically at this point waiting to see what Mr. Halbrook um, calls in. And um, but in the meantime, did you guys see what a convoy truck convoy the Canadian truckers? They basically are protesting the illegal vaccine mandate in Canada and also. We're hearing that the U.S. Uh, truckers are basically going to join them very, very soon. So, and another good piece of news, they have raised $6 million. Totally. I mean, it's, you know, there is, there are more of us out there than they are of the elitists who are trying to create these really horrible, horrible scenarios. You know, look at what's happening in Quebec. In Quebec, if you are an on-jab individual or family, you have to be chaperoned, totally chaperoned, in order to go to the supermarket, if you to go to the pharmacy, to go to Costco, to go anywhere where you're required to get food. How horrible is that? I mean, they have, I can't believe it, they have a picture, a picture where the unjabs are supposed to Basically, stand. They cannot go anywhere else but just that area. So <laughs> that is basically where we are now. We are in this predicament on a global scale. <laughs> this is totally ridiculous. But you know what? The more you comply, the more this will never go away. So 
people have to really understand that that's not that's not really really something that we can just sit back and relax. We're in a fight. We're in a fight for freedom. And if people don't wake up, when you wake up, you will not be able to recognize this whole world. Okay? That's where we stand right now. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's not just talking about it. It's actually understanding that if we continue on this path, it will not be any type of freedom. Look at what's happening in Quebec. Look at what's happening in Australia. What's happening in Austria, okay? They'll come up and do what they did in Germany where basically they came up and they said 90% of the people who are being infected or are in the hospitals are beyond jabbed. Now they came up with the excuse that it was a software error. It was not their intention. You know, they're trying to segregate, segregation of the human beings. That's the condition. It's all about, I mean, the father of, the father of, um, of the globalist is Mr. Jacob Rothschild. And what did he say? He indicated that the wearing of a mask is being done for obedient, obedient terms, you know, to control. So, Mr. Holbrook, how are you? Oh, Fine. I thought this was going to be at AM and not PM. So. Oh, I, I mentioned to AJ that it was going to be 9 o'clock Eastern time. Yeah, I thought 9 o'clock AM instead of uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I w- we won't keep you longer than the, the, the 20, 20 minutes uh, that you had indicated. You yeah, know. that's fine. Okay. Yeah. So I, I basically um, provided – what a great, uh, great accomplishment! The winner of three cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, the Castillo versus United States, Thompson uh, Central Arms Company, United States versus Thompson Central Arms, and then Pritz versus United States. What struck me about the case, and, we'll, and I'm going really fast, is because the Castillo uh, case was that related to the Branch Davidians? Absolutely, it was. I represented them in the Supreme Court, and I got their sentences reduced from 40 years to 15 years right. because of one of the issues in the case. They had a right to jury trial, and the jury never heard any of the this stuff. And then they go back for sentencing, and the, the judge sticks it to them uh, based on – he says these are sentencing factors and not, not – um, 
uh, something that has to be in the indictment and proven to the jury beyond a reasonable doubt. And so I was proud of that. We we tried to get the convictions overturned, and we didn't succeed in that, but we did succeed in, in letting them get out before they died. You know, they they got out after 15 years. That was too long, but uh, better than Wow. And in today's situation with the uh, the obsession of, of, of trying to going ahead and, 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 and with gun control, which is basically an obsession with a, a, certain, a certain party, uh, where do we stand today in regards to the constitutional right of people of the United States to bear arms? Well, that's, that's the subject of my new book, The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. And right. the Supreme Court has a case on, on that very subject right now. And it's called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And it has to do with the fact that in New York and five other states nationwide, the right of the people to bear arms is not really um, recognized they say they can decide on who has a need to bear arms or not. And so in every other jurisdiction, 44 states, you can either carry a handgun without a license, that's 21 states have that, and the other ones have permits or licenses that any law-abiding citizen can get. Mm. But in, in these six states, including New York, a, a police official decides if you have a need to, and they say that most people don't have any need to because the police are there to protect you. And, of course, like the old saying goes, when, when seconds count, the police can get there in minutes. Right. And, and nowadays, after the riots of 2020, remember that you could call 911 and they'd say that there's no service available. So just forget it. You're your own protector. Okay. And, and you know, the battle – is in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. Congress. How do you see that battle? Uh, and then with the Supreme Court, uh, what do you see now the shift, especially with Stephen Breyer planning to retire? Uh, is it going to be the constitutional right to bear arms? Is it going to hold up? Is it going to is going to be preserved because of the current Supreme Court justices that are the conservative uh, Supreme Court justices? Um, it's hard to predict what they're going to do, but I think there's a good chance that that case will be won on, on behalf of the Second Amendment because you've got uh, six justices, apparently, that seem favorable to the Second Amendment. There was oral argument in the case in November, and the um, the questions from those six justices were favorable toward those challenging the New York law and adverse to the arguments being made by the New York lawyer. Uh, and so, and of course, the other three, the so-called liberal justices, asked questions that were more favorable to New York. So um, we won't know. There'll probably be a, a decision in June, but... Um, uh, and, and until then, we'll have to wait. But I, I, I'm optimistic on the case. And I have to wait. say one other thing. St speaking of Justice Breyer, 
when I argued that Castillo case, the Branch Davidian right. case, yes. uh, I thought I, I would either win or lose five to four, and I, I thought definitely Breyer is not going to vote my way. And you know what? It turned out during the oral argument, he picked up the football and ran to my goal with it. <laughs> it turned out he wrote the opinion, and it was nine to zero in our favor. Wow! And so that that was a that was a big surprise, and I was proud of uh, getting that that result in that case. So it, it just shows you they surprise us sometimes. Well, I think I think that's another reason why the liberals, uh, uh, the Democrats, want to get rid of him. <laughs> They, uh, I think that's my that's my personal opinion. I think they've been pushing him to retire. Well, they they want to get rid of him so they can get somebody for sure. You know, they don't want to have another Amy Coney Barrett situation arise where you end up with a um, either maybe a Senate that's that's Republican and maybe a president that's Republican. Um, they don't want to repeat that error, so they they basically are pushing him out. Oh yeah, that's that's been well known, especially in the in the political circles. That, that that's been the the intention uh, to get rid of him because uh, uh, I think I think even before the midterm, that seems to be where this is going. Um, but but one, other uh, thing, one other thing I'll say about that case, um, Castillo is the right to jury trial is something that all nine of them could agree on. And and there's other issues where they, they just can't reach an agreement, and usually the Second Amendment is one of those. So so there are some rights that most of them are willing to respect, and there's other rights that are disfavored by some of them. Okay. Now, one, one of the things that in, in, in doing my research, um, I also found the, the, the Pritz, uh, versus the United States be one interesting case also because it had to do with the, what was that, the barrel of the stock? That was the so-called Brady handgun. Yeah, the Brady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that case, uh, Congress passed a law telling local sheriffs and police, you have to do background checks for the federal government for people who buy, are buying handguns. And Sheriff Jay Prince down in Montana and several other sheriffs said, we don't work for you. If you want to do background checks, you can have federal employees do it, but we're not going to do it. And um, so we went to court, and um, we got different decisions in the courts below. And when we got to the Supreme Court, they ruled that, that Congress cannot force the states to administer a federal program um, they can't just give direct orders, in other words, to the states and localities. They can offer them money, and if the states are willing to take the money, then conditions come with it. But that, that was not the case here. It was just a direct order. Direct and, order. Huh? And so we had um, we won that case five to four. Justice Scalia wrote the opinion, and it basically said um, the, the feds can't tell the states what to do. Right. And, you know, I, I know certain politicians they throw the Brady Brady Bill around quite quite often uh, as the right thing for every politician to do uh, to to go along with the Brady. But has the Brady Bill actually been successful 
as they portray it to be? Well, so what happened, there was two stages to that law. And the first stage was they just gave this outright order to the states and localities to do their background checks. And so they lost that part of it. But then the second stage, after five years, it became the duty of the FBI to do background checks. So they have a a big office where they do that where, for example, if you go to a gun store um, and you fill out the application to buy the gun, then they call in to that that background check system and uh, either give the thumb up or the thumb down. And so um, that that's worked out pretty well. Uh, uh-huh. Whether and what extent it's had an effect on crime, though, uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody really knows because what happens with um, – most of the guns used in crime are, are just bought on the black market. They're stolen, things like that. Right. And uh, normally people who are prohibited from buying guns don't go to gun shops and fill out papers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And especially we, we saw the, the uh, police officers in New York getting shot in Texas today. Some officers got shot. Uh, we have the city of Chicago, which has the, probably one of the tightest, most strict uh, gun control uh, and, and crime. Every week, there's ki- uh, numerous numbers of, of, of killings in L.A. and different parts of uh, most of the liberal cities. So the gun control proponents have not succeeded in this whole process. Right, and and so what they do is they keep piling on one restriction after another on law-abiding citizens, pretending like that's going to help. They don't want to take the action to put criminals in jail. You know, they, we've gone through the defund the police stuff, and now we've got these um, – uh, they call themselves prosecutors, but they're not really prosecutors because they're, they say there should be no bail uh, right. in, in New York even for armed robbery. Um, And so crime is running amok and the murder rates going up. And so what do they do when they come back? They say, well, okay, why don't we restrict law-abiding gun owners? And and they say, oh, this is all gun violence and it's a gun's fault. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I I, I don't see – I think it, it, it lies beyond the gun, the weapon. I think it, it lies on the, the, the new district attorneys that are basically, I mean, in California, if you commit a crime, uh, go into a Walgreen and steal less than $970, you walk off free. They won't even arrest you. So True. these new district attorney DAs are actually the problem. I, I know where I want to respect your time. Where can we buy your new book? Well, once again, uh, actually, you can just Google my name and the book. It's Stephen okay. Halbrook, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-H-A-L-B-R-O-O-K. And the name of the book is The Right to Bear Arms. If you just put that on the Google, it'll get it. The subtitle is A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. I think most people get their, their books on the Internet nowadays. Um, okay. So that that makes it real easy. You can... Get it from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any one of the major booksellers. 
Okay, we'll we'll promote it on on our website. Um, and like I said, I, I want to respect your time. Uh, one of the things that I that I have come up uh, in my research is ammunition control may be the future of Second Amendment discussions. What's your take on that? Well, there's been attempts over the years to try to do the, just that, like to, um, and, and in fact, I think there may be a few jurisdictions that uh, impose high, very high taxes on ammunition. Uh, there are some places where certain ammunition is banned, like uh, you cannot uh, buy or sell hollow point ammunition in San Francisco. And so there, there's a, a lot that, uh, I mean, anti-gun people want to use every angle. So if you can dry up the supply of ammunition, that's going to be helpful. And the Biden administration just did something like that. They, they banned uh, any importation of ammunition from Russia. And, and I can tell you that the um, American consumers have benefited from the low prices with uh, popular calibers of Russian ammo. Right. And, and uh, that, those imports have done nothing to strengthen Mr. Putin. Uh, it, it's just another co- commercial enterprise, like the, of which there's other, other trading right. and other things going on with, with Russia, Russian businesses that have no effect on the political situation. And so the Biden administration just cut off all the ammunition imports from Russia, which is, uh, once again, we've already got a, a scarcity of ammunition because of all the new gun buyers in this country. So that's, you know, they'll, they'll come at you every way they can. Well, as part of the, as part of the supply, the design-created supply chain crisis, that they, uh, the current administration has actually uh, been working on. Right. You know, so, uh, but I believe uh, the ammunition control, I found it very interesting reading that. Uh, it basically, it's, it's a key point in, 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 in controlling, basically accessing or purchasing or controlling the purchase of, uh, of weapons. Right. I mean, if you have no ammunition to shoot, a gun is is just useless. So <laughs> yes, yes. So the now uh, the other part that I was um, we've got a couple minutes before, before I'll, I'll let you go because I know I like to respect my guests. You know, they tell me twenty minutes, they tell me forty minutes. So I like to keep it. Uh, the future of the Second Amendment in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association at the Supreme Court. Now that you see, especially with after the midterms, there could be a shift in the political spectrum in Washington. Right. How does that favor Second Amendment, Amendment uh proponents well um, i look at it this way i I think we've already got a favorable array of justices on the court on that issue right yeah on the court and then we have declining popular support for restrictions on law-abiding people and firearms and so um there's nothing going on where there's you know a lot of popular demand for more restrictions and the court uh, looks at the feelings of the country. I mean, that's they're supposed to go by the law, but everybody knows that they also look at that. 
And um, it, it, it's not like considered a radical thing that the uh, court would do if, if it respected Second Amendment rights. And, and what it would do, if they invalidate this New York law, which requires you to have some kind of special police-approved need to carry a gun, then uh, if that goes by the wayside, the sky's not going to fall. I mean, the other side acts like the sky's going to fall if you allow people to carry guns, but 44 states already allow it, and, and that never happened when they revised their laws to uh, allow right. Uh, something like that, where if you're a law-abiding person, you get any training that's necessary, then you can carry the gun for self-defense. Right, right. That so, 44 states. Which are the states that are that do not have that right? So that would be New York, New okay. Jersey, California, Hawaii. Um, Let's see. There's two more. It's the usual suspect states, the ones that <laughs> everything. Okay. Um, I'm not thinking of what they are right now. It's too late at night. Okay. All right. <laughs> I just, but it's it's probably the typical uh, liberal states. Yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. We have a minute. To, uh, in regards to, uh, I found it very interesting. Uh, Howard University, Tuskegee Institute, uh, George Mason, Georgetown, which is one of my favorite colleges. Uh, which of those schools, and I, I wanted to ask you this question, unrelated to the Second Amendment, which of those schools really enhance your Second Amendment uh, passion? Well, um, I got interested in the topic when I was an undergraduate way back then in the late 60s. Uh -huh. Florida State University, but it was not from the university that I got interested. I, I was, um, I, I was like, um, you know, late teens, early twenties, and and there were a lot of calls for uh, gun control in 1968 in particular, and um, I had been to summer camp where we had rifle shooting as as a form of training and safety education. And, and it just looked like to me that this right was being totally disrespected. And so I started reading on my own, not, not from any coursework, but just studying that subject on my own. And so finally in, in 1984, I published my book, first book on the Second Amendment, and um, I published several others on different topics on that, uh, that subject. And you can look at my website, stephenhallbrook.com, and yep. find out more information about my writings on that. Definitely, definitely. So one more time just before uh, we're done, uh, your website and then uh, where we can get the book. Okay, the website is stephenhallbrook.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-H-A-L-B-R-O-O-K.com. Uh -huh. You can go to the website and find out information on, on that book and, and the other books, but or you can just Google my name and the right to bear arms and you'll find it. Definitely, we'll put it up there. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, taking time out of your session. I apologize for the uh, miscommunication on that. Yeah, no, that, that was my fault. I'm sure it said PM, and I just glossed over, so I just didn't notice it. So. <laughs> no problem. Well, thank you again, and I'd love to have you back because uh, I'd love to talk. I mean, I have so much more, but 
I respect your your time. Uh, we can have you for an hour. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, thank uh, you very much for having me on the program. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, bye. So that was Stephen Hulbrook, um constitutional Second Amendment right, who has won three three cases in the Supreme Court. So I will say that at this point we're going to knock it off for tonight and we will see each other next week, same time, same back channel. Okay, bye.